Okay, so this year was dedicated by Mendel Pill, and this is an honor of, I guess, his grandfather, that's what I think, Aaron Yaakov Ben Rebenzian Moshe. Truth is, I don't know. I just know it was L'schus in memory of Aaron Yaakov Ben Metzian Moshe. Um, should be L'schus for his neshama and only, only good mazel and bracha and for good, good, good things. Lots of bracha and light for the entire mishpacha. I owe a class. Uh, we usually do the Parsha My Life class. Uh, this week I went to New York, went to Chicago, went to New York, came back on Tuesday, and I was so exhausted and I couldn't get myself uh, moving. And then uh, last night I had a wedding, so things didn't work out. And so I'm making up for the Monday night class today. Um, I'm not going to do this as a Parsha class. I'm going to... Um, share with you something insightful, enjoyable, meaningful, I think so, um, on about the a great event that happened this week on Gimel Tammuz on Sunday, is that we had a Siyam HaRambam, we concluded the book of Rambam. And we started, and we're still in the middle of the start, so anybody that wants to grab on and join can still st- join the tomorrow we're actually going to start learning the, the actual halachas. Today we were learning, and in the last few days we were learning the introduction mainly of the Rambam to the actual book of the law. Rambam covers all of Torah law, and there is a yearly cycle instituted by the Lubavitcher Rebbe to study and learn. And there's either a yearly cycle, or you can do it in three years. The one starting tomorrow is the yearly cycle, in which you learn three chapters a day. So I'd like to give some insight. Now, I will say, what I'm saying today, I really, the initial thoughts and ideas of this came to me last year when we started the cycle on the 17th of Tammuz. And um, I gave a class in it, and you can listen to it, called Siyama uh, Rambam. Those of you who heard it and remembered it, then uh, this might sound repetitive. Um, but... There is some news, number one. Number two, I think it's better developed and more concentrated and a little more, uh, with a little better explanation than what I did. And I, I listened to that class so that I, I can, not for today's class, but when I, I spoke about this in Chicago and in different places. Uh, last Shabbos, I gave a Shabbos afternoon class, which was kind of this, this thing, but wasn't recorded because it was Shabbos. So I listened to the old class and I realized that it was Great stuff, but but quite scattered. So I want to like kind of concentrate it and bring it together again uh, in a sharper, more cohesive way for um, for this Sima Rambam. And hopefully, the main intention is it should encourage people to learn Rambam. It's a very very powerful. And even if you can't do the three chapters, you join along in the one chapter a day. It's very 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 important, and as we're going to see in today's class, 
in addition to it being a mitzvah stu- Torah study, which is always cosmic and endless, but it, particularly learning Ramam has a lot to do with the tikkun of Mashiach that needs that is happening, and we're waiting for it to fully unfold in front of our eyes. So uh, this will also, hopefully, this class will also inspire um, excitement for the coming of Mashiach and where we're standing today's days. I realized right now that it would help if I get um, another book, actually two, three books. So you'll give me one second, bear with me while I get up and get those swarim and I'll be right back. So the Rambam concludes in his book, the Rambam has 14 books in make up his book called it Yad HaChazaka, his strong, strong hand, hand, arm. By the way, also related to Mashiach because God took the Jewish people out of Egypt, which is the first redemption through Yad HaChazaka, through his mighty arm. Now obviously, Hashem will take the Jewish people out of this exile. Also, like it says, like the days you went out of Mitzrayim, The days, as the days you went out of Egypt, as the days you went out of Egypt, so God will show wonders when you go out of uh, when we will go out of um, this exile. And so the the, the um, there's a comparison between the two. So that one happened beyada chazaka with a strong arm. So now also with a strong arm to evoke God's strong arm. To bring about the Geula, we study the Yad HaChazaka, the, the Rambam's Yad HaChazaka. The reason why he calls it Yad, simply, is because it has 14 books. Yad is 14, Gematria. Yud Dalit is Gematria 14. Now, um, the, and there's another name to the book called Mishneh Torah, because it is a review of the entire Torah. Mishneh Torah, it's a review of the entire Torah. So, um, on Sunday, we actually completed the thing, and we began learning again on Monday. Now again, tomorrow is when we start learning the halachis, chapter number one. So, anybody want to jump on the bandwagon, here's the time. Now, um, the minagis to make a siyam is you learn the last halacha. Um, sometimes when you watch people make a siyam, you know, in the nine days, the Lubavitcher Rebbe instituted that we should try to make as many siyams as we can in the nine days, so that it should help Siam of Torah learning so that it should help end the exile. Some people make a siam and use it as a heter, as a as a way that you can eat the meat. Um, many, many cup people have a custom. In Lubavitch, it's not so much the custom to do that. The Rebbe said we should make siams, but not that you should eat meat. <laughs> so we make siams. In any case, so in Chabad Shuls, you listen to a siam every night. And the Rebbe actually said you shouldn't stop on Tisha B'Av, you should continue all the way to the 15th of Av. So it's 15 days in which people make a siyum amasechta every, every, uh, every night. So there are those who make a siyum, and the, the way I like it, they say the last two lines in Fartik, and then they go on to make the siyum. It takes one, two, three. Then you have sometimes a fellow who stands up and he gives a whole long speech. A whole, in other words, he starts like you know a page before it. And he goes through the whole Gemara. And I, I don't think, unless you know, people are coming for a shear, people are coming for a siyam, they want to get chick-chak, one, two, three. So I'm going to be very chick-chak, 
I'm going to start and make the CM. I'm actually going to make the CM on the last letter, not even the last word. We're going to focus on the last letter itself. The last letter of Rambam is Amem. That's it. Amem. That's the last letter of the Rambam. That's the CM. That is extremely significant, as we're going to see. First of all, there is so much in a letter. There is so much in a letter. Even though it's only one letter. What could be the significance of one letter? God created the world with the 22 letters, so if you divide all of existence into 22 pieces, it's pretty significant, right? Um, the combinations of letters and words, the letters are powerful. The great and saintly Rabbi Saul of Ruzhin once said, he said as follows, that the entire book of Torah is all included in the first, the entire book of Torah is all included in the first book of Torah. You have five books. It's all included in the first book, which is the book of Genesis, the book of Bereshit. So Genesis is a concentrate. Bereshit is a concentrate for the entire Torah. The entire Sefer Bereshit is included in Parshas Bereshit, in the first Torah portion of Bereshit. The story of creation, it includes within it the entire book of Bereshit, which includes the entire Torah. Then he said the entire the entire Parsha Bereshis is all included in the first verse of Bereshis, first Pasuk. Bereshis, Baral, Akimis, Hashemayim, Vesa'aretz, that first verse includes within it the entire Parsha, which includes the entire book, which includes the entire Torah. Then he says the entire first verse of Bereshis, and even a more concentrated, potent, it's all included in the first word of Bereshis. First word, Bereshis, has the first verse, which includes the whole Parsha, which includes the whole uh, Sefer, which includes the entire, all of the Torah. Then he said that the first word, Bereshis, is concentrated in the first letter of Bereshis. In the Bays. The Bays has it all. The Bays. So really that Bays of Bereshis contains the entire Torah, from beginning to end, because it has the first verse, which includes the first... Um, uh, uh, Parsha, which includes the first Chumash, which includes the entire Torah. And then he said, and the entire base of Bereshis is really concentrated in the first dot. And when he means the dot is in Bereshis, there's a little dot in the base because he makes the B, little dot. That dot has it all, concentrate. And then he concluded and he said, that dot, that's me. <laughs> I love it. I love that statement. I mean, the big tzaddikim were able to talk about their souls. And they weren't afraid of arrogance, God forbid. They were so unified with God that they, when they're speaking, it's Hashem, it's like some God, it's a conveying of godliness, not, not of themselves. So you know, as he said, the loftiness of his neshama is that his soul is one with that dot from where the entire Torah emanates from. Incredible. So we talk about the mem of the last word of Rambam. The exciting thing is that Rambam, in his opening book, also starts with a mem. Now, the Rambam is like this. He first makes a hagdama for Rambam, an introduction. The hagdama, the introduction, does not start with a mem. Actually, starts with a base. B'shem Hashem Ke'lo'elam, or with an aleph. Oz, he brings a pasuk. That's the introduction. His actual sefer, where the halos begin, 
Here, Sefer Risha in the first book, Vuhu Sefer Hamada. So the first word, he brings a little verse before he begins the first halacha. His actual law, he starts with the Yud Kevavke, God's name. Yesoid, acronym. Yesoide, Yesoide is foundation of all foundations. Vamudachachmas and pillars of all wisdom. It's to know that there is one God. That's the first law. But in introduction to the law, he, he, he brings one pasuk. What's the pasuk? So when you're learning, tomorrow's Rambam, you're actually starting to learn the actual laws, begin with the pasuk, Meshoy Chastacha. Draw down your kindness to those who know you. Starts with a mem. Actually, I didn't think about this. The book itself is called Sefer HaMada. So even though there's a hey in the beginning, ha, but the actual word is Mada. The book of what a person needs to know is also a mem. I didn't notice it till now. So Ramam ends with a mem and he starts with a mem. Is there significance to that? There's nothing in Torah that doesn't have significance. And if you think about it, when you say the word Rambam, the one letter that is, that's the acronym of the Rambam's name, the one letter that is dominating in the word Rambam is the Mem. Because you have two Mems in the word Rambam. You have another two letters, a Resh and a Bez, but then you have Mems, Mem and Mem. That's what makes the Rambam different than the Ramban. Nachmanides, he ends with a nun, but Rambam ends with a mem. Mem and mem, two mems. Rambam. And when you say out his full name, Rebbeinu Moshe ben Maimon, the letter dominating his name more than any other of the letters is mem. You got three mems in Moshe ben Maimon. Three mems. Now, who is the one who instituted this takana that we should learn Rambam, the Lubavitcher Rebbe? In his name, his Hebrew name, is also dominated by Mems, three Mems as well. Rebbe's name is Menachem Mendel. So Menachem has two Mems, Mem as the opening, and Mem in the end, and then again, Mem. Three Mems in the Rebbe's name. Same like Rambam. Now when did the Rebbe Institute we should learn Rambam? When, would this, when did this start? In the 1980s, which if you ask someone who counts by the Hebrew count, you ask him, when did the Rebbe Institute to learn Rambam? He'll tell you in the Mems. Because it was 1980s was also Tafshin Mem. In the Hebrew, it was 5740, actually instituted in 5744. So it's in the Mems. So again, you emphasize Mem. And all this is so exciting this year because this is this year is the 40th cycle which we concluded and we're starting now 41st cycle. But I want to speak about a certain tikkun that happened already in the last 40 cycles. Now it wasn't 40 years started we learning Rambam. It's actually only 37 years since we started learning Rambam. But um, being that the cycle of Rambam is not a full 12 months, it's 11 months and about one week, so you, get, you gain a, three weeks every year, which add up after a couple of years. The three weeks make up a whole year. Especially since we're dealing already, already close to 40, uh, 40 years, so that you accumulate. So in 37 years, plus you have leap years where you have an extra, where you have 13 months in the year. So you add it all together. In the last 37 years, we had 40 cycles of Rambam, Mem. And the Rambam ends with Mem, and starts with Mem. 
Now, it's not only Rambam that the Rambam ends with Mem and starts with Mem. Rambam is Mishneh Torah. He kind of comes to concentrate the entire Torah, and he's following what his predecessor, the other great giant of giants, Rebbeinu Yehuda Hanasi, who is the author of the Mishnah. The author of the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, also, when he wrote Mishnah, which, what's, the, what's, the equivalent, what's, the, what's the equivalent, or what's the um, similarity between Mishnah and Rambam, is both of them are coming to say what the halacha is. And they're not... It's not about the, the whole back and forth, the whole arguments and the whole the philosophy and so on and so forth, in which they're arguing halacha. It's what's the final verdict. It's that the Mishnah gives final verdict, but the Mishnah gives still disputes and different opinions. And Rambam filters it all down to final halacha, even though we, don't, we can't um, follow actually what Rambam says in order for practice, because we have to check in Shulchan Aruch, which doesn't always accept Rambam's view. But Rambam is the first one who codifies the entire Torah into... But Mishnah, same thing. Mishnah starts also with a mem and ends with mem. That's why you can't say it's just, uh, it's just, it's, it's by chance. Because everything is so perfect. And Mishnahis should start with a mem. Where do you start? Mishnahis begins with mem. When do we start reading the Shema? Ba'arvis starts with a mem. And Mishnahis ends, Mesechtes Uktsin. We have six orders of Mishnah, 60, cha- 60 Mesechtos, and uh, the last Mesechta, Mesechtos Uktsin, ends with the Pasuk, Hashem oiz la'amo yitain, God gives strength to his people, Hashem yivarech as'amo yibashaloyma, with a mem. Mem at the beginning, mem at the end. So Rambam, Institutor of the Rambam was the one who instituted this tikkun. And now we learned it 40, 40 times. This is exciting. This is really exciting. So what's going on? What happened now the 40th time? What is special about it? Now the thing to take note is that this 40th Limudah Rambam took place between two days. Last year, we concluded the last cycle, which was the 39th cycle, we concluded it on Shivasa Batamas, on the 17th day of Tamas, which is a day that we're, it's coming closer to us. Now we are, today is the 7th day of Tamas. So in 10 days from now, it's going to be the 17th day of Tamas. So last year, the 17th of Tamas, we concluded Rambam. The 18th of Tamas is when we started the 40th one. We concluded it on the third day of Tammuz, the following year. So the whole learning of Rambam was sandwiched between the 17th of Tammuz and the third day of Tammuz. Third day would be the conclusion, the last day of Tammuz. Now let's understand that on a deeper level. 17th of Tammuz is the beginning of the exile. Because that's when Moshe broke the Luchos. Which led to, which by the sin of the golden calf, which led to... The, the sending of the spies and the falling then and Tisha B'Av, which came as a consequence of that, which led to later that on the 17th of Thomas they breached the walls of Jerusalem, which eventually led to the destruction of the Holy Temple. See, all these things are interlooped and intertwined and interwoven one with each other. So the 17th of Thomas is the beginning of the exile. What's Gimel Thomas? There are those who celebrate Gimel Thomas the way it's celebrated and commemorated. I spoke about that in last class as a yard site, as a day of Ilula, and this and that. I don't argue. People feel that way, they feel that way, and I can 100% understand why people connect to the day that way. As I mentioned to you last week, I don't sense that way. 
To me, it's just completely so refuted. Don't connect to it at all in that sense. The Rebbe himself defined what Gimel Tamas is the last time he spoke to us, Gimel Tamas. And I read a beautiful article, something that literally gave me such light in Chabad.info. On Chabad, no, not Chabad.info, Chabadinfo.com. That's the English one. Chabadinfo.com. There's an article by Rabbi Noam Wagner. And the app, and it's called, it was printed, I, I saw it in the beginning of the week, so it's probably have to go scroll back a little bit. It's called What Happened on Gimel Tamas. So he, it, it was just such an eye-opener, the way he, I mean, whatever he writes, it's not that I, I, I haven't known, I know, but just the way he brought it out in such a clear, fantastic, sharp, clean way that I think that is, I think, very, because we're dealing, obviously, with something very mystical and something which requires a lot of faith. And not necessarily, sometimes the logical, rational mind clashes with it. And that's why definitely scoffers who like to, uh, who obviously are not too optimistic about the world and about themselves and about life, or like to see death as reality and uh, darkness as reality, will you know, like to scoff at this whole idea that you can look at a human being who seems to have passed away 27 years ago and say, no, he's not. He's alive and well and and continuing his work and preparing the world for the redemption. But I understand, scoffers are easy for them to scoff at. It's uh, one of these things where God has the last laugh. That's the bottom line. Now, yeah, the bull's in the court of those that are laughing, because, you know, those who, who make fun of holiness or those who make fun of believers, you can laugh. It's, it's not, I, you know. Try to, who, who, who try to define reality just by what you can see with your physical eyes. No, what can I do? The Rebbe definitely did not have that approach. So the Rebbe, it's interesting, when the Rebbe was dealing with his predecessors passing on Yud Shvat, the 10th day of Shvat, the Rebbe told us in order to understand the day of Yud Shvat, we need to look at what the Lubavitcher Rebbe, his predecessor, the Friediger Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, presented on Yud the teachings in which he presented for Yud Because the previous Rebbe gave out a mimer for Yud a He gave out a discourse on, for the day that he was going to pass. He, he actually printed a discourse of one of his old discourses. He edited it and had it given out. So the Rebbe says, we got to read that carefully because over there is where the Rebbe is telling us what the day is all about because he gave it out for this day. The Rebbe did not say, here's the thing, the Rebbe did not say that in order to know what Yud Shvat is all about, we have to look at what my father-in-law, again, he's a chassid, the Rebbe's a chassid. See, he's looking at his father-in-law, he's learning from him. So he says, when he tells the other chassidim what we have to do, he tells them we have to look at what he left for this day, Yuchvat, not what the previous Rebbe was saying and teaching 30 years prior to that on Bey's Nisan when his father passed away. In other words, when, when we're wondering like what is supposed to be our inspiration, where do we look to gain inspiration about current? Where do we look? Where do we look? So, Obviously, we take direction from a Rebbe. So, 
what did the Rebbe do after, when he, when he was analyzing his predecessors, his talkas? He didn't look to what his predecessor said 30 years earlier when he was dealing with his father's talkas. He doesn't say, let's analyze the previous Rebbe's sikhas on Beis Nisan. He says, let's analyze what the previous Rebbe wrote now, currently, for this day. Okay? And that, that's perfectly logical because he's preparing his sheep, his flock, for, for, for an event that's happening now, not 30 years before. Now, the same would apply to the Rebbe. Then when we want to know how the Rebbe defines the day of Gimel Tammuz, we don't look at what the Rebbe said 50 years ago on Yud Shvat about his father-in-law. Now even there the, pre- the Rebbe was insisting that his father-in-law, you can't, we can't understand that as his talkus, as a departure of a soul from a body in a regular sense that the previous Rebbe Chas passed away and he's not here, he died. The Rebbe rejects that back then in Yud Shvat in such a powerful way. Even though the Rebbe knew that people are laughing at him, that the scoffers will scoff. But the Rebbe completely rejects but that was regarding his father-in-law. But we don't look at those talks. That's the natural what most of Chabad does. You want to know what it is. Let's see, what did the Rebbe do right after Yud Shvat? And now we apply the same thing to Gimel Thomas, what the Rebbe did, because you want to follow your teacher. No, but if you're following your teacher, your teacher did not look at what the previous Rebbe said at, his, at the beginning of his leadership and regarding his father-in-law's passing. You, the Rebbe looked at what, his, at what his teacher prepared for his own day of of seemingly passing. So we have to do the same with the Rebbe. We have to look at the Rebbe's talks regarding what the Rebbe said about Gimel Thomas. So, in Rabbi Wagner, in a, in a beautiful way, he says, there's only two discourses that the Rebbe gave out particularly for Gimel Thomas. Hasidic discourses. Not, not, there is Maimorim. There were many talks, but Hasidic discourses Two of them. One is called Nasan Nafshenu Bachayim, and the other one is Yehi Hashem Alekeinu Imanu. Just headings, I'm, not, I'm just pointing you to it. I'm not expecting you to understand it from me saying this. You can learn the discourses. And if you learn those, you see, you see incredible explanations of what Gimel Thomas is. But in addition to that, the year, the last time the Rebbe spoke to us on Gimel Thomas, that we heard him speak, he def- he, the whole talk is based on what Gimel Tamas is. And what does the Rebbe say? What is Gimel Tamas? Gimel Tamas was a significant day in Chabad before it was the day of um, in 1994, which many will call the day of the Rebbe's passing. Yartzeit. It was a very significant day before that. Why was it? Because that's the day that his father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, which the Rebbe sees himself as, sees himself, his whole, his whole Nesias is one with his father-in-law. So in his father-in-law's calendar, Gimel Tammuz was a day that his life was speared. And it was the beginning of his liberation from prison. So even though at that time they thought that he was being exiled for a three-year exile. A week later, after he arrived to the place of the exile, they liberated him completely. So the Rebbe says, what's Gimel Tammuz? A day that looks like to the external eye, to the superficial eye, it looks like a day of exile. Oh, isn't that amazing? 
three years later on Gimel Thomas, 1990, this was in 1991, the Rebbe said it. It's a day that looks like exile. That means it looks very dark. Three years later in 1994, no one had any question of what looked dark. It looked like the Rebbe's soul just leaves, left this world and passing, whatever, you know. Yard site, that's what it looks like. And anybody that knows what means a chassid Rebbe connection and the fact that the Rebbe is not here physically, it's the darkest day possible. It's like losing everything. Because the Rebbe is much more than a parent and much more than a teacher and much more than... The bond is, 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 is just... So the Rebbe says, it looks like a day of darkness. But a week later on Yud Beis and Yud Gimel Tamas when is it is retroactively understood that it's not it's not exile it's the beginning of the redemption those words it's the beginning of the redemption and the Rebbe goes into a very deep explanation why there is the in-between time if it's redemption it could have been immediately redemption why was it only why was it only the beginning of redemption and he explains, we, we, we spoke about this a lot, so I'm not, but this is just awesome. He explains, because being that the redemption has to come in a way in which we are part of it. It's not overwhelming us, it's not God doing it, 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 it it's assimilated into us, becomes part of us, so it takes time to integrate it. We exist within time, and our changes take time. So we have to process things, and our processing takes a while. So that's the... The idea of the, of the days that are in between Gimel Thomas, in other words, Yud Beis and Yud Gimel Thomas, the 12th day of Thomas and the 13th day of Thomas, the day of the complete liberation of the previous Rebbe, Geula is fully manifest, it's fully revealed, it's fully, fully, it's fully present in the world. On Gimel Thomas, it looks dark, but really it's the beginning of that. Because again, when they liberated him from jail, it laid a lead for them to liberate him from exile as well. So it was, it was a step in that direction. But, but at the time, it was not seen that way. It only took till afterwards to it will redefine the day of Gimel Thomas. The Gimel Thomas is really a day of redemption. So our Rebbe said that every time you want to understand something, you have to look into what the Rebbe himself says about that day. This is what the Rebbe says about his, about his, about his own day. So for the last 27 years, it looks dark. It looks heavy. It looks like a day for yardside candles and for commemorations of Hilulis and like people do and they talk about Rebbe's legacy and, and I see it as legacy, Rebbe's and Shmegacy. That's not legacy and it, it just doesn't speak to me. I'm being a little sharp because I, I just can't stand it anymore. Stop talking legacy, Shmegacy. Learn the Sichas and you see the Rebbe's all about the Geula, Mashiach, the Geula, the light, the, the, the future, not... There's a pause. The last 27 years is catching up time. The Rebbe is way ahead of us. He's waiting till we catch up. How do we catch up? By learning these sikhs and these talks. Understanding it, assimilating. So what is going to be when Mashiach comes? We're going to see that Gimel Tammuz, at any moment, hopefully we don't even have to wait for the 12th and 13th of Tammuz because we wait for Mashiach every second. We're going to notice backwards that Gimel Tammuz was never the darkness. was actually an awesome beginning day to the redemption. We were given a chance to work a little bit on our own. Till, as long as the Rebbe is here 
in a very physical in this world, he was driving us, driving us and is driving us in a revealed way. He's still driving, but now it's, then it was in a revealed way. So the work wasn't our work, it was his work. Now he's giving us a chance for it to be our work, to catch up with it. But this is all parenthetical. I, I, where am I going with this? I'm going back to what I said at the beginning. And that is that. So what's Gimel Tamuz, the beginning of the redemption? What's Shavasa Batamuz, the beginning of exile? So what's the Rambam that's being studied the 40th time between the day that's the beginning of exile and the beginning of redemption? So you have to say that the Rambam that fits right inside between these two dates, and we're going to see why this is significant, it's incredible significant, the number 40, that's that does the final tikkun to change the exile into Giyola, to change the beginning of exile to the beginning of redemption. May we already get to see this with our eyes. And it's all connected to the Mem, because Mem is 40, 40 times learning Rambam. So first we begin by understanding that Torah, in general, is deeply associated, connected with the number 40. On the Pasuk, Vayikhu li teruma, you should take from me teruma. The sages say, the sages say on the Pasuk, Vayikhu li teruma, the Zohar says, that teruma, the word teruma, which is where you know, we're building the tabernacle, we're building the Mishkan. So the sages say that the word teruma is, stands for Torah Mem. The Torah of 40. Teruma, Torah, Mem. The Torah of 40. So the Zohar says, Torah and 40 is unified. When I gave this talk in Chicago, a guy, someone came over to me after me, he says, take me. Li is also 40. Lamed Yod, 40. How are you taking me? Torah, Mem, which is also 40. Torah, Mem, the Torah of 40. We see that the Torah was given in 40 days. Moshe, after... After he went up to heaven, he spent studying the Torah. God was teaching him the Torah after the event at Sinai, after the Ten Commandments. Moshe went up to heaven for 40 days and 40 nights. 40. So Torah was now. For whatever reason, it didn't materialize. Moshe, there was some kind of a problem that didn't allow the Torah to land in this world because when Moshe was coming down the mountain he had to break it so then he went back a second time and lo and behold the second time he also goes actually he went up three times but the second time that he went up wasn't really to get the luchos it was still to, to, for prayer and to do repair but then he went up a third time but when I'm saying the second it's a second time for the purpose of Torah he went to get the second tablets he went up on Rosh Chodesh Elul that's where we blow shofar then. Like Moshe, every day they, they blow shofar then. Moshe went up on the, on the Rosh Chodesh El and he comes down on Yom Kippur with the second tablets. So it's again 40. 40 for the first tablets, 40 for the second tablets. How long did the Jewish people stay in the desert to absorb the Torah? 40 years. 40 years was the biggest yeshiva ever. All Jews were in yeshiva. God took care of everything else. They were like learning in kolel. Kolal is 
an institution where married young men don't have to you know, study Torah and they're supported. People, the community supports, gives money and they're, they're paid to study. God paid us, all the Jewish people study Torah. Why? To really, really absorb it. It took 40 years of study. But again, the number, 40. So the number 40 is written all over the Torah. As I showed you before, the opening of Mishnah and the end of Mishnah, the opening of Rambam and the end of Rambam, and all 40. Now, what I, what I, here's the Chiddush that I didn't say last year, and I didn't even say this on Sunday when I gave this talk over there in Chicago, because I only noticed it when I started learning Rambam again. When the Rambam speaks about the Torah being passed from generation to generation, the Ramam goes through exactly who Moshe passed it on to Yahushua, to Joshua. Joshua gave it over to the next generation. The Ramam lists who they are. And this is what the Ramam at the end, the Ramam says, Nimtza comes out until the closing of the Talmud. That's called Torah Shabbat. After the closing of the Talmud, the Torah that the rabbis don't have the strength anymore to really enact any enactments that are, are, are binding to all the Jewish people. It was only until the Talmud, and now we only figure out what the Talmud says, but to actually create a new enactment that was only given, it was to create what we call Torah Shabal Peh in its fullest, it was, it, was, it was for the generations from Moshe until Rav Ashi. Rav Ashi is the one who wrote the Babylonian Talmud. Nimtza, he says, Mir Rav Ashi ad Moshe Rabbeinu, going back from Rav Ashi to Moshe Rabbeinu, Arboim Ish, 40 men. Isn't this awesome? So you see that, that the tradition of Torah, the passing it on through, and it developed until it reaches its complete development, 40, 40, 40 generations. Again, mem. So the mems are the dominant, is the dominant letter over here. Now why do we find that in Rambam there is a mem at the beginning and a mem at the end? In Mish Mishnah there's a mem at the beginning and at the end and a mem. Which means two mems. Okay, I get it. Torah is connected to mem. So have it at the opening. Why two mems? We also find that what? As we said earlier, when the Torah was given, it was given in two periods of 40. 40 days for the first luchas, 40 days for the second luchas. Why twice 40? What's the double? And the answer is because if you learn Aleph Bays, and you look at the Aleph Bays, the Hebrew letters, you see that mem is a double letter. Two mems. Five letters that are double letters, all those that are sometimes, they, that have a different form when they're placed in the end of a word. They're called menatzpach letters. Mem, nun, tzadik, peichof. Those letters are double letters. Mem is one of them. But mem is unique. Mem and nun. But mem is that when you say mem, when you say the word mem, you hear the two mems. Mem. Mem and mem. Like enamems. Eminems. So... The two mems are heard in the mem itself. Mem. When you say mem, right? So there's two mems. Therefore, the Torah is connected to mem. So there is two dimensions to Torah related to the two And that's the two luchos. First luchos, second luchos. What's the difference between the two mems? One mem is open on the bottom. The other mem is locked on the bottom. It's an open mem and a closed mem. Two mems. It's called mem psucha, an open mem, mem stuma, a closed mem. Or sometimes referred to, and in Yiddish you refer to it as mem, and when I was a kid they used to call it an end mem, and in Chabad I know and other, it's called shlos mem, a locked mem. 
that's more fitting with the what the, the term Chazal used for it, mem stuma, closed. What does it mean, these two mems? Why is one open, why is one closed? And why the first luchos didn't last? The first luchos collapsed, it broke. Uh, when? On Shavasa Betamas. The second luchos lasted. A very special day came down on Yom Kippur. So what's the difference? In a sense, what's the difference between Shavasa Betamas and Yom Kippur? They're both the end of a 40-day period, but one of them, a horrible disaster happens, and the other one brings all the forgiveness. So somehow it would seem like Yom Kippur, which is the last day of the second of the second mem, which is probably the closed mem, because it's the second one, the second 40 days, is a tikkun on the Shivasa Betamos, which is the which is the last day of the first 40-day period, which is the open mem. So what you got over here is that the closed mem fixes the open mem. And that already tells us why Mishnah, both Mishnayas, and um, Rambam, both of them, start with an open mem and end with a closed mem. It's not just because technically, of course, if it's at the end, it's at the end of a word, and the end of a word is closed. That's the laws of writing. And, um, and in the and you put the mem in the beginning of a word, or in the middle of it, it's an open one. That's just by the rules of Aleph base. But everything is, everything is meaning. What's the reason why the mem, Mishnah, Mishnah, it's sandwiched between two mems, but one is the open, one is the closed, because that's how the Torah was given, with, a, with, with the first giving of the luchas, which was an open mem, which didn't turn out too well. Then you had the second luchas, which ends on Yom Kippur, which is the day of rectification. We rectify everything on Yom Kippur. So in a sense, Yom Kippur rectifies Shavasa Betamos, the 17th of Tamos. So Yom Kippur is all about Mashiach. It's all about the future. Shavasa Betamos is the, is the source of exile. One rectifies the other. So let's get a little bit of better understanding. What is the secrets of these mems? And then we'll also understand why Rambam has two mems, and one of them is an open one, and one is a closed mem. Because the point over here is, even in the name Rambam, is to somehow fix the open mem by connecting it to the closed mem. Now, let's go look at the luchos for a minute. You'll see that in the luchos as well. The luchos that came at the end of the first 40 days, on the 40th day, it broke. From the open mem, it broke. Second luchos came on Yom Kippur, it didn't break. Remained, to, didn't break. What did they do with the luchos? So they put them, they put them in the ark. Which luchos went into the ark? Of course, the new set of luchos went into the ark. But as Rashi tells us, the Gemara tells us, luchos v'shivrei luchos munachim ba'aron. That in the aron you had the luchos themselves, which is the second pair of tablets, and the broken pieces of the first tablets were also in the aron, both of them laying together. The two luchos were together, the broken ones in them. In other words, the open mem, which, la which ended up shattered and broken, in order to fix it, we put it into the same box together with the other luchos, which is connected to the closed mem, and that's how we hold it together and everything is fine. Everything is repaired. 
Shavasa Batamas and Yom Kippur come together. We take the two Mems together. For the Mishnah starts with the Mem and ends with the Mem. Hashem Yavarechasameh Taking these two Mems together and therefore doing the cosmic repair. Rambam as well opens up with the Mem. Ends with the Mem. Here I'm going to tell you the word. Like the waters cover the sea. You connect the two Mems together. You, fix, you do the repair in all of creation and all of existence. And that leads us to Mashiach, which Mashiach is, also has a Mem in his name. Mashiach is Mem, even though it's an open Mem. We'll soon see. So what does this mean? What does it mean, a Tikkun? Are we playing just with, with, with numbers? Are we playing with letters? Or is there something very deep and significant over here? So the, the Gemara says in Masech Shabbos, the Talmud tells us in Masech Shabbos, where the Gemara goes ahead and the Gemara talks about the letters of the Aleph Beis and their names. Because the Aleph Beis are not just letters, every letter has a name. The name of the letter, Aleph. So Aleph means something. Beis, for instance, is very clear. Beis means a house, bias. Gimel means to, to give, to share, gomel. Dal, dalit means poor, dal, so forth. So the, the Gemara says, what's with the Mems? So the Gemara says that the two Mems, I know it's Masech Shabbos, I don't remember which page. The Gemara says in Masech Shabbos that the two Mems stand for Mem, the open Mem is Maimer Pasuach, an open Maimar, and the second Mem is Maimer Sasum, a closed Maimar. An open Maimar, a closed Maimar. Open Maimar, closed Maimar. Translate that, an open utterance and a closed utterance. So mem has something to do with speech, something to do with speech, communication. An open communication, a closed communication. One more time. The open mem represents an open communication, an open utterance, and the other mem, the closed mem represents a closed utterance. So obviously, what does this mean? Two levels of speech, two le levels of communications. An open one and a closed one. So what does that mean? It means simply an open circuit and a closed circuit. An open circuit, anybody can get into. A closed circuit is locked. You know, someone has Wi-Fi uh, on their phone, they have a uh, Wi-Fi connection, they have a special uh, account but they have a lock because they don't want anybody else hacking into their Wi-Fi account and hacking into their thing. So when you, when you push your, your Wi-Fi thing and you look at, you want to connect to a Wi-Fi, so, you know, the airport, or there just wasn't the airport or places like that, you know, it's an open thing. Anybody can tune into the Wi-Fi. But there are restaurants sometimes that have an open Wi-Fi. Anybody can tune in. You don't need a password. And then there are those um, that are locked. Now, generally, wherever there is going to be communication of precious precious information, when you have people's private information, you have people's social security numbers, you have people's birthdays, you have people's identities, and definitely when you have credit cards and all that information, you want to make sure you have a secure, un, a secure site. That's a locked site. And anybody that's not invited cannot get in there. Now why are you doing that? When do you do that? When the site is, would attract unwanted visitors, because people that with not the best intentions are seeking to get that information 
and employ that information and use that information for their own benefits and for their corrupted whatever thing, to steal and to rob and to whatever. So then you have to be very careful. And therefore the more precious something is, the more careful you have to be in order to secure it. And that's the meaning of a closed mem and an open mem. The closed mem is a secure site. No one can get in there. It's not hackable. The open mem represents an open server. Anybody can get in. Now, thinking about an easing thing, you know what the sages say about the first luchos? So the sages say like this. The first luchos, the first um, tablets, that was given in a very, very open and showy manner. God actually made a big scene. And he had fireworks. The whole place was rocking and rolling. The place was thundering and lightning, and the place was wild. The whole world can see. It was done in an open way. It wasn't modest. And what happened? It attracted some of the eyes. Satan didn't like it. The forces of the unholy, they watched and they saw they didn't like it. So they hacked. And it resulted in what? in a shattered luchos. The sages say because it was done in an open fashion. God says to Moshe Rabbein, the second time I'm giving you the luchos, no one's going to know about it. It's going to be quiet, just me and you. Closed circuit. No one is there. There wasn't pe- Even the Jewish people weren't there. It was secretly given over from God to Moshe. I know the actual giving of the luchos itself, even the first time, was also between Moshe and God. But the actual initial stage of that was a huge, huge party. It was a huge open, an open, an open... Um, an open uh, event. So, it, it caused the problem. The second one, God says, was done bitzniyut. Tzniyut means modesty. And a modest one. You see, because it was closed and protected, it remained safe. No one got into it. This idea, an open circuit, a closed circuit. To understand this a little better, this whole idea of a hackable mem and a secure mem, what does it have to do with utterance? What does it mean with utterance? We see, first of all, in the physical sense, where is there the problem usually with when are things the most hackable at the time of a transmission? when you're communicating something. As long as something is private, as long as you know within your own heart and soul, you know your own, you know, you know your own name, birthday, social security number, and all that, no one is hacking it. But when you're giving it to someone, you're communicating it, so you're putting it out, that's when it's very careful. You need, that's what we're saying, Mimer. Mimer is God exposing something. He's allowing energy to go out. Divine energy is the most, is the most important commodity. Godly energy is, that's life. That's where all the power is. So the unholy wants to hack it. So that has to be protected. By the way, that's the, the deeper meaning for all the rules of tzniyut. That there is, especially in an intimacy. Because when there's an intimacy, there's a powerful transmission of godly life. It, this is what creates, a person is creating a child, whether the child will be born or not, but he's delivering the substance that can create a child. This is like intense energy. This is, this is like godly power. This is cosmic energy. It's a new human being that has the potential to have children, 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 forever and ever. This is like an unbelievable flow of energy. And that's why it has to be done in such modesty. Because if you put it out in the open, if you do it 
mean, and, oh, and there's many laws of modesty. That's why there's, according to Torah, the lights have to be closed and covered and all these ideas because whenever there is a the communication of energy, you want to make sure that the unholy doesn't hack it, doesn't get into it. Sneos. I'm just giving you one example, but it, it applies to all aspects of life where you want to keep things modest. We find when God created the world, this week, I'm going to con connect it to this week's uh, Pirkei Avot, Shabbos, we're going to learn the ethics of the fathers, chapter number five. So in chapter five it says, that when God created the world, he created it with ten utterances. When God created the world, he created it with ten utterances. So the Mishnah asks, well, you know, the story of creation, the ten utterances. So the Mishnah asks, hold it. Why did God have to create the world with ten utterances? He could have created it with one. He could have created the world with one utterance. So the Mishnah answers, what does the Mishnah say? The reason he created it with ten utterances is because he wants to reward the righteous who are upkeeping the world. They're sustaining the world. They're strengthening the world that was created with ten utterances. And he wants to punish the wicked. Actually, the Mishnah says reverse. To punish the wicked that destroy a world that was created, that took ten utterances to create, and to reward the righteous who sustain and support a world that was created with ten utterances. In other words, God wants to be able to give us a greater, greater response to our actions in this world, both in the good and in the negative. If we do the right thing and we, and we don't wreck the world, but quite in the case, we build the world, we support the world, we elevate the world, we enhance the world, and our, and our actions. God wants to make a big deal about it, wants to give us a big reward. So he says, what did you enhance? You enhanced something so precious it took God 10 utterances to create it. If God forbid we do the opposite and we destroy the world, God will hold us accountable for a world that he spent 10 utterances saying. That's why he did it that way. That's what the Mishnah says. And the Medrash Shmuel, one of the great commentators on, the, on Pirkei Elvis, asks the question, I don't get it. He says, you just said that God could have created it with one utterance. Had God created it in one utterance, had God created the world in one utterance, it would have been a created, right? He could have created one utterance. You're saying he didn't create it in one, he created it in ten. But he didn't have to create it in ten because he could have created it in one. So what's the value of the world? Is the value of the world a ten utterance world or is the value of the world a one utterance? If I can buy something for ten bucks and someone cheated me and I paid a hundred dollars for it, and, you, and then someone else comes and steals it or breaks it or whatever, do they have to pay me $10 for the value of what I bought? Or do they have to pay me 100 Of course you have to pay me 10 You pay based on the value, not on what, you know, if I overpaid, I overpaid. So God overpaid, so to speak, in this world that he created it from 10 utterances when he could have created it at one. So the value is of one utterance. The Mishnah itself says the value is one utterance because he could have created it with one. I and mean, when the Mishnah means he could have created the same world, no? So what's the answer? So the Hasidic explanation of this, which is so awesome, is that when we say God could have created the world in, in one utterance, first of all, it doesn't mean he could have, it means he actually did. God did create the world. God created the world on two levels. He created the world in one utterance and he created the world in ten utterances. The world that God creates, but the, the, the creation of the world in one utterance is an earlier stage of existence. We all exist in that stage. 
It's an earlier stage and a preliminary stage of existence. And where creation is, is still very close to the creative power that's creating it. The creations are still unif... The creations are filled of awareness of the power that's creating them. If God would create the world with one utterance. And again, would meaning he actually does. On that level of existence, creation is completely connected to the creator. In other words, let me read it. Bemaimer echad means in a maimer with a utterance echad where, where we can still feel the echad, we can feel the God's unity. In other words, from every tree, we would see the divine, the divine energy creating the tree. From every plant, from every flower, from every bird, from every fish, from every everything. From a mountain, from a rock, from a tree, from a human being, from everything in the world, everything would be crying out. The beauty, the, the creator, the creator that created it all. We would sense God. Why? Because God would create the world from one utterance and that would give a certain sense of powerful unity to the entire existence that everything would sense the oneness that's creating. So the world would be much tighter and much unified. Every, the differentiations and the separations and the details of creation would not be so pronounced, at least not to the point which gives every creature and every being a sense of distinctness separation and autonomousness and disconnect. God did not, was not happy with that world. You know why God is not happy with a perfect world where everything is under the unity of oneness of God? Because there would be no free choice. That's what the Mishnah says, no free choice. No reward, reward for punishment because we would be doing the godly thing automatically because we, we have no other consciousness. We have no other awareness other than the creator that's creating us. We would be tuned into our purpose and our mission and our true identity every second naturally, effortlessly without any of our toil and effort. So therefore God said, no, I'm not going to leave the world created with one utterance, I'm going to detail creation. I'm going to allow my utterances to emerge outward into ten utterances. And therefore give far more focus on each individual aspect of creation, making nature and creation feel so much more real, so much more independent, so much more to itself. And as a result of that, the creation is more separated from God, and more separated, then you have free choice, because you don't feel the creator, you don't feel the oneness. You're looking at the different features of the world and therefore you're not seeing God, one God or created. You can even forget that there's a God completely. Think you are here for yourself. And as a result of that, a person has choice to do the godly thing or not. Yes, it takes, takes work. And that's how he rewards the righteous that sustain a world of ten. And he punishes the wicked who destroy a world of ten. The world that he could have done is not, the value is of 10 because that's the way the world is today in its current state needed 10 utterances. So that it will be, it will feel the way it feels. But what do you see from it? These two levels, the 10 utterances and the one utterance is the two mems. The closed utterance where everything is still closed. Because the utterance sometimes explains that the one utterances that we're talking about, that the world was created on a deeper level, it's not even speech, it's God's thought. He's thinking the world into existence. When you think, the thought and the thinker are completely one. No, no one else knows your thought, only you. It's inside of you, and it, therefore it's not corruptible. In other words, when is there a danger that someone will go ahead and plagiarize you? When is there a hazard that someone will take your idea? Someone will, someone will steal your speech. Someone will take your and, and misuse. And sometimes people will take your ideas. Or, you know, a company innovates something. And when is there the danger? A person innovates something. And, right? and you don't want anybody to grab it and miss, or 
produce it on their own or use it for whatever, take your technology and use it. That's if you expose it. If you keep it in your inside world, in your own head, it will never be stolen because people don't know your thoughts. But once you speak about it, once you, once you put it down, so what do you do? If you're putting something down in an open, on a computer, once you're sharing something, once you're putting it into an email, if you have precious material, you want to make sure that it's a very secure file, a secure server that no one can hack into. But if you're stepping out of the secure server, again, it's exposed. It's dangerous. So here you have the idea, two levels of God's divine speech. One that is unified with its source and therefore not vulnerable to hack. The klipa can't get to it. And one that it's more outward, more disconnected, and therefore more hackable and, and uh, dangerous. It serves a purpose. You have free choice. But again, you're exposing. When God created a world, he opened up the, the door for, for all sinfulness and all trouble and all darkness. Obviously, it pays off in the end because in the end, it's going to be fixed. And not only that, it's going to be much better than it ever was, but he knew he's taking a risk by creating. Now we'll understand this idea. Now let's go back to Torah. Just like this exists in creation, two levels of creation, it also exists two levels of Torah. The higher level of Torah is the Torah in the inside, the deeper Torah, the Torah as it is still in God's thought, the Torah as it is still one with God, the Torah as it is in a much higher spiritual godly state. And that's a secure server. No one can hack. No one can go into God's thoughts. It's too deep. It's too one with Him. The unholy can't get there. Then there is the Torah as the Torah lowers itself down to be omitted, to be spoken, to be verbalized, to be articulated. God speaks it out. And he lowers the Torah down to speak about more worldly things. Hashem brings the Torah down to deal with creation and the world. And when the Torah lowers itself down and becomes closer to creation, then the Torah becomes, the Torah is a powerful discipline, a powerful science, a godly science. It's, a, it's the infinite wisdom. And obviously understand that it itself could be corrupted. The Torah itself, meaning you can take certain things of Torah and ideas of Torah and misuse it. For instance, for, I'll give you a simple example. Taking certain names of God and using it for witchcraft and for magic and for things like that. So you're taking an inner something, a powerful, an aspect of holiness and misusing it for an improper thing or certain information. The sages even say that when one studies Torah, you got to be careful. If you Torah, study Torah with the proper intentions, with the right frame of mind, then it's going to be a samachayim. It's going to be a, a, a medicine of life. But if God forbid you study Torah with the wrong intentions to boost your ego or whatever it is, the Torah itself can become a, a poison. It can do a lot of damage. It can, it can do a lot of damage. A person can use the Torah to, to destroy the world, like has been seen. That sometimes people use the Torah in a very negative way, not in a holy way, not in the way God intends it and God wants it. But that is only possible in the Torah when the Torah descends down lower into the open server. When the Torah remains still locked up in God's thoughts and its inner, inner element of Torah, it's not hackable. It's safe, it's protected. 
But obviously on that level, it doesn't have so much impact on the world because it's too detached. Again, the more you keep something in a safe zone, the less impactful it's happening to the outside. There's always a certain amount, degree of risk. If you want to produce, you know, if you can, you can be the most creative person in the world and you can safeguard all of your inventions. You can have a million inventions, the greatest idea, but if you don't go to production and you don't speak to anybody, you don't take it out and make yourself vulnerable, to take it out, then you can, you can, you, God forbid, I mean, the person will die with all, of, with all of his amazing inventions. No one ever stole his ideas. Everything was safe and secure. But you took it to your grave with you and no one is going to have it. If you want to impact the world, you got to put it out on the outside. Okay, you do whatever you can to save, but there's always, <laughs> the best secure server is always breakable. So the moment you expose something out, you're, you're, you're venturing out, there's always the possibility. But you got to do it. So it's, that, it's not like God made a mistake by bringing the Torah down into the open man. It was necessary. But it comes with a risk. And guess what happened? Satan got a hold of it in the sense that on the 40th day, the Satan came and messed the whole system up. Made us think that Moshe died. One of the things we spoke about at the beginning of the class. When, when, when something that's eternal and forever and not diable, you know, the Satan came along and started messing with their brains. Gave them a whole, this whole image and uh, caused the people to sin and make a golden calf and all of that. And then what happened? The luchos were broken. That's, represent, that's the idea of a hack. The, the Torah was hacked. And when the luchos broke, you understand something. It had powerful significance in that the forces of the unholy got a hold of some, of some of that energy. That's what it means. It broke. It broke in this world. It means that it was attacked. The unholy became stronger as a result of the shattering of the luchos. Then God gives Moshe, and so that's the shivas of the times, and again in the 40th day, because the mem is open. Then came a second giving of the luchos, the second time. And the 40 days of the second time ends on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the level of a closed mem, secure. So much so that we know that the, the safest day in which a person can be safe and know that no, first of all, we don't sin on Yom Kippur. We sin other times of the year, we don't sin on Yom Kippur. We don't have any temptation to sin on Yom Kippur. General. Sages say that the word Satan, which is Satan, if you add to it Hasatan, the gematria, the numeric value of Hasatan is 364. 364. Shin Shin Nun Tes is 359, Satan. And at a hey, 5, 359 plus 5 is 364. How many days of the year are there? 365. Days related to the sun calendar, the, 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 the solar calendar. 365. So why is Satan 364? Because it says that the Satan only has power for 364 days. That's when he tries to hack us. 364 days. Every time a person sins, what does it mean? We get hacked. Why are we the target of sin? Why do we have temptation? You'll, you'll notice in your own life, if you're sensitive, if you're not sensitive, you won't notice this, but if you're sensitive, you'll notice that every time you're more connected to holiness, you learned something, you studied, you're inspired, you're, you're on the one hand, you're, 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 you're in a better place, but on the other hand, you'll feel that, that you'll have more temptation. You'll have, you know, the things will come your way that will like try to throw you off. And the reason is because, you know, there are, there are prowlers, you call them, spiritual parasites, scavengers, 
that are flying around, these black, uh, what do they call them, vultures. This is dark. I don't want to scare anybody, but if I want to make it very dramatic, right? <laughs> All these, 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 these um, um, creatures, aliens, <laughs> beings that we don't see, that are constantly surrounding. And when they see a target, when are you a target? When are you a target? You're a much bigger target when you're in a holier state. The more holier you are, the more energy you're connecting to. When you plug in, you had very good prayer, you learned, you davened, you, you, know, you connected to a tzaddik or something like that. And now you're filled with such intense energy, the klipa wants to bust into your system to steal it. When, when a person sins, God forbid, then they're able to give their energy out to the unholy. The unholy steals the energy. Forces of darkness. That's the, that's the hack. So the one day that we don't have to be afraid of hack, it's, the truth is it's the holiest, but the klipa has no, because it's a closed mem. We're in a very closed circuit, and that's Yom Kippur. So it's the opposite. Shavasa Batamu is the hack. The satan hacked the entire Jewish people. And the Torah. Yom Kippur is unhackable. Why? It's a closed mem. This is an open mem. This is a closed mem. The difference between the first luchos and the second luchos. Now, what is the difference in the luchos themselves? Let's understand that. What's the difference between the luchos himself? Between the open, hackable... In other words, there is a hackable Torah, there is a non-hackable Torah. What's the difference between the two Torahs? The difference is as follows. The revealed Torah, the part of the Torah that deals with, hal, with the world, includes all the aspects of Torah, of Gemara, Talmud, Shulchan Aruch, even Rambam, all this... It's all dealing with the subject matter is life on earth, this world. Since it comes down to deal with the world, to fix the world, and the world is full of klipot, full of dark stuff, that part of the Torah is exposed and therefore it could be hacked. But then there is an inner layer of Torah that deals with God, doesn't talk about the world, talks about God. That's called Pnimiyas Torah, like Hasidut, Kabbalah, and primarily Hasidus, which is the inner, inner, inner part, unhackable. That part of the Torah is very, very secure, very holy. Actually, it's ref in one of the one of the and one of the ways we can. It is explained the differences between these two levels of the Torah, the revealed Torah and the hidden Torah, is in the two trees that were in the Garden of Eden. The tree, Torah is called the tree. Eitz Chaim, tree of life. The Torah in general is a tree of life. The entire Torah, the revealed Torah and the hidden Torah. But the revealed Torah is also called Eitz Hadas Tovera, the tree of knowledge. So the Alter Rebbe explains in Tanya, in the fourth section of Tanya, that God forbid to say the Torah is a tree of knowledge that consists of good and bad. The Torah is only good knowledge, only holy information, only holy knowledge. Every word of Torah is holy and godly, divine. However, he says, the reason it's called the tree of knowledge of good and bad is because it, it encloses itself in the world. It comes to discuss the world, and the world is a mixture of good and bad. So because the Torah lowers itself in the, into the world of good and bad, the Torah itself is called, the revealed part of the Torah, is called the tree of knowledge of good and bad. And because it's the tree of knowledge of good and bad, it's hackable. That's why the sages say that if you learn Torah and you don't learn it in the right way, 
it can cause a person. The Torah itself could corrupt the person. How do you avoid that corruption? So you have to connect to the higher part of the Torah, to the closed mem, again. The revealed Torah is the open mem. You have to connect to the higher part of Torah, the inner dimension of Torah called the closed mem. And when you connect to that part of Torah and you firmly attach yourself there, then you're not as hackable for sure. And the deeper you're connected to it, the less hackable you are. And then even when you learn the revealed Torah, you're less vulnerable to attack because you're connected to a place that is secure. And then you influence even your other learning, which is dealing with the part of the Torah that is more exposed, to be protected by the inner Torah. The inner Torah influences the outer Torah. In other words, you're connecting the two trees. The tree of knowledge of good and bad is becoming connected to the tree of life. And, and then, and it actually says, Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, their mistake was they ate first from the tree of life. I'm sorry, from the tree of knowledge, good and bad. Had they eaten first from the tree of life and then gone ahead and worked with the tree of knowledge, the snake would have not have gotten them. It's because they eat the tree of knowledge and did not have in them the power from the tree of life. So the fifth Chabad Rebbe, Reb Shalom Dev Ber, he was the one who instituted the concept of a Chabad Yeshiva. Until his days, there was no Chabad Yeshiva. There were Hasidim who came to the Rebbe and studied Hasidut, Hasidus, but there was no official institution where young men would learn Chabad Hasidut, Hasidus. He started a Yeshiva. And in that yeshiva they studied, and the main intention, he called the, the people, the boys learning there, he called the yeshiva, and he called the boys learning there, called a tamim. What's the idea of tamim? Tamim means complete, because you're learning both Torahs, which are complete. And, he, and, he, and, and in order to make, if you might call an advertisement for his yeshiva, a, uh, he, he delivered a discourse, he wrote a special book, he himself wrote the book, and it's called, the name of the book is Kuntras. It's a booklet. It's an amazing booklet called Kuntras Eitz Chaim, the, the Kuntras of the Tree of Life. And he explains in that book why he made the yeshiva and why you have to learn. Because he says, especially in today's days where there's so much corruption coming from secular studies when people start learning the, unho- the, the secular studies and that can a lot of times corrupt and pollute a person's mind. And that, and that even if you're just learning the revealed part of the Torah, the Torah itself can be, God forbid, misused. So you, when you learn Hasidus, you connect to the tree of life, then you're protected. In other words, he doesn't speak about it specifically about the two mems, but this is the idea, linking the two mems together. Like I said earlier, the first luchos was, and now we'll apply this idea to the first luchos and the second luchos. The first luchos was from the open mem, the open the open communication. The revealed Torah. That's what was given to us in the first luchos. God gave us instructions of how to live our life in this world. The second luchos, even though it seems that it was only a repetition of the first luchos, but the Midrash says that in the second luchos there was much more depth to it. So much so that they bring a pasuk, Vayagid lahem, you reveal to them, Taluma Yishachma, the secrets of Torah. Vayagid loy, you reveal to him, to Moshe. Taluma Yishachma, the secrets of Torah. That means that the inner esoteric teachings of the Torah was only transmitted on the second luchas, not in the first luchas, because that's from the closed mem. And what did they do in order to repair the shattered luchas, in order to save it from where its state that it was in? 
They were told to take the broken luchas and put it in the side of the other luchas to connect the two. In our life, it means that when we study Torah, we don't just learn Gemara, we also have a daily dose of Jewish mysticism, of Hasidus. And when you learn both together, keeps you in a keeps you in a very good place, in a very healthy place. That's the idea of closing the two mems. And we spoke earlier how Torah starts with a mem and ends with a mem. Now, we're going to take it to phase number two in this whole class. Because the first luchos that was given on Shavasa Batamas represents the open mem, which is a circuit that's not protected. What happened on that day after the luchos broke, many years later, on that very same day, something that reflects the exact same thing happened. The Jewish people were living in the land of Israel for over... 500 years 410 years they had a temple but even before that they were living there we had established God's home in this world powerful flow of energy coming to the world but on the 17th day of Thomas the Babylonian armies came breached the walls of Jerusalem broke it and began the destruction of the temple 17th day of Thomas Huvka'ir, the city was broken into. Now let's understand that when the, when the armies of Babylonia are breaking into the temple, what is that? That's a hack. Because let me ask you something, why are they not breaking the walls of other cities? Maybe they did, but why are they so excited to go to Jerusalem? As we said earlier, you know, we don't, we don't hackers, we don't want to go. They don't want to hack my bank account because they're not going to find much there. <laughs> they want to hack a juicy bank account. They want to hack a place where there's going to be, you know, millions of dollars. That's where they're going for. They're not going for stamsh, you know, a pauper. What are, they, what are they looking for over there? So spiritually, it's the same thing. Jerusalem, that's where you want to go. You want to go to the, <laughs> the, like the movie, The Raiders. I never watched it, but The Raiders of the Ark. They want to go for the Ark. They want to get the Ark. Imagine you get the heart. You get the, that's where you get all the power. That's what they're going for. And when did they hack the city? Now the wall is supposed to be a protection. But when did they break in? On the 17th of Thomas, because that's the open mem, meaning it's, the open mem is not meant to be open. It's also closed, but it's, me, but it's, it's, it's openable. You could, you could, it allows for it to, to be broken. Now the walls of Jerusalem are actually the shape of a mem. It's closed. A mem is an encircled area, but open. It was breached on the 40th day, the very day of the first luchas which led to consequential the entire exile, which we still haven't yet completely come out of. And now, to show you that this is all really for real, not just kidding around, we said earlier the rule is, what's the rule? That in the middle of a word, you have an open mem. In the beginning of a word, when you have a mem, it's open. But when do you put a closed mem? At the end of a word. An open mem is always in the beginning. You'll never find an open mem at the end of a word. Because in the end, there's a sealer. Whenever you're putting an mem, it has to be sealed. You can't leave it open. There's one place where there is an open mem, and it's in the end of a word. And that's in Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. In chapter 2, verse 13. Perek Beis, Pasekut Gimel. It says Nehemiah was one, came at the end of the Babylonian exile, he's coming back to Jerusalem, and they want to start, you know, working on rebuilding Jerusalem. And he goes and he scans the city. He's walking around, and he's, he's doing a little tour on the, 
on the on the on the on the uh, destruction on the ruins, and he sees the walls of Jerusalem, and he says, and shoiver means that the, the Raubag says, I'm thinking. Let's see what else. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about, I'm looking. He was looking. He was inspecting the walls. Asherahim prutzim, that they are breached. He sees the walls of Jerusalem as breached. The word asherahim, that they are, has an open mem. And it's supposed to be a closed mem. Asherahim, closed. Because hey mem, but the mem is open. Why is it open? Because that's what happened. Because they breached the walls. And that's why this mem that's supposed to be closed was, was broken into. Take a look at the Evan Ezra. He actually says that. And to explain the open mem at the, at the end of the word. Remez, this is an indication. To the open walls of Prutzos. Which are broken open. So you see clearly that this mem is... So Jerusalem was broken on the open mem. And this open mem is the root of the entire exile. Because exile comes from a leak. When powers of God, of the divine, are not where they're supposed to be, but they leak out. And when they leak out, the bad guys get it. The terrorists get it. Imagine if the terrorists get a hold of the nuclear uh, um, um, code. That's the most dangerous thing. That's what happens. They get a hold of the... We know that's the whole concept of Galuta Shechina, that the Shechina, which is the power of the world, goes into the hands of the unholy, of the other empires. And they use it for abusive purposes, for dark things. That's the exile. So how do we fix this? What's going to be? When Mashiach will come, it's going to be a closed circuit. The klipa will not be able to get to it anymore. Now where do we see that? There's another Pasuk in Isaiah, in Yeshaya. In Yeshaya, Perek Vav, chapter Vav in Yeshaya. No, it's not in Vav. Maybe it's in Yeshaya Gimel, I think. Maybe. Hold on. Find the Pasuk. If I remember correctly, it was in Perak Vav in Yeshaya. Just give me one second. Maybe it's in Zion. Maybe it's in Zion. Maybe. Maybe it's in Gimel. Okay, if I don't find it right now, you'll have to trust me. You'll have to trust me that it's here, but it's somewhere over here. In the beginning of Yeshaya, there is a Pasuk where it... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Okay. It's in Yeshaya Tess, the ninth chapter of Isaiah. I remember Vav. It's verse number Vav. 
the, the, sixth, the sixth verse. It says, Lamar Misra, increased governorship, to the increased governorship, Ulushalem indicates the infinite peace, Al Kisei David on the throne of David, Vamamlachtain on his kingdom. to support it, Ulusada, and to support, Lahachanai to prepare it, Ulusada, and to support it, Bemishpatu Bitzdaka, with justice and with righteousness. Forever and ever. And anyways, it's talking about an increased governorship. Whose increased governorship is it talking about? It's talking about it's two opinions. Either it's talking about Chizkiyahu HaMelech, which, but Chazal say this is referring to Moshiach. Moshiach's governorship. In the days of Moshiach, Moshiach's government is going to be Marbam, it's going to be an increased government. What does it mean increased government? It's going to be a powerful government that's going to control the that's going to influence and, and dominate over the entire world. But usually big government, not necessarily the best idea. But this government is Lashalomain Kates. It's going to bring infinite peace. On who? Al Kisei David on the throne of David. It's going to be the God's ultimate dominion in this world through Moshiach Tzedkenu. The word marbe, lemarbe which means to increase, an increased governorship of Mashiach, dominion of Mashiach, kingdom of Mashiach, starts with a lamid, and then it has a second letter as a mem, but the mem is in the middle of a word. It should be an open mem. But the word lamarbe has a closed mem. The only time when there is supposed to be an open mem in the Torah, and it's a closed mem. The opposite of the other one, which is the only time when it's supposed to be a closed mem, and it's an open mem. Here you have a, open, a closed one. It's here to teach you that what is Mashiach going to do? He's going to close the circuit. He's going to stop the leak. He's going to stop all the breaching. There will not be, there will be a secure world. The unholy will not be able to take advantage of the holy and everything will be in its place and Jerusalem will be, and the walls of Jerusalem will be fixed and secure and we won't sin anymore. As we know, there won't be any more Yetzirah to come and hack us and we'll be able to channel holiness and connect to where we're supposed to and everything will be fantastic and wonderful. Lamar Baham so what do you see? That messianic times, the tikkun, is associated with closing the mem. So that very mem that opened on Shivasa Bitamuz, on the 17th of Tammuz, the mem was breached. Now it needs to be closed. How do we close the mem? How do we close the mem? We close the mem, like we said, by connecting the two mems, the regular Torah to the deeper part of Torah. Also when we learn Mishnah, and that's what they say the Mishnah wanted to do, and that's what the Rambam wanted to do. When he opened the Mishnah and the Rambam, both Rabbeinu HaKadosh, the author of the Mishnah, and the Rabbeinu Moshe ben Maimon, the Rambam, when they made their books, they, they, whether they consciously thought this or it was done so by heaven, is that they started with, a clo- with an open mem and, and a closed mem in order to, to connect the open mem to the closed mem, to unify them, to join them, to attach them to take the broken luchos and attach it to the full luchos. There shouldn't be able to be any more a disconnect. And Moshiach, who is the, this closed mem, even though his name Moshiach, in terms of Masach, is with a mem, but it's an open mem. But we know that Moshiach is also hinted to in the name of Adam, Adam Arishon. And in Adam Arishon, where is Moshiach? Because what's Moshiach? Moshiach is the ultimate human being. Moshiach is the, 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 the greatest human and that is hinted to in the name Adam. Adam stands for Adam David Moshiach. That's the evolving of humanity. Adam is Adam, David, King David, and then Moshiach. 
the, the Adam, the Mem of Adam, which is the final manifestation of humanity as Adam Arishon, the Mem is a closed Mem. Because we will not be leaking anymore. Once Mashiach is here, we will be experiencing a closed connection with God that won't be possible for us to disconnect. Lamar Bahamisra, the closed Mem. If the tikkun is connecting an open mem to a closed mem, so it comes the 40th year when the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who in the, in the mems, as we say, in, in the 1980s, which is known as the mems, institutes we should learn Rambam. Finish it the, every year. And we did it for 40 years. 40 years, 40 cycles of learning Rambam. Now let's understand something very deep over here. Ramam has two mems in his name, Moshe ben Maimon. They're all open mems. The Rebbe, the Lubavitch Rebbe's name, especially his first name, Menachem, starts with a mem, an open mem, but the last letter is a closed mem. And watch this. The Rambam is the revealed Torah. That's, there is a question if the Rambam even studied the mysticism. The Hasidic masters say the Rambam did study mysticism, but he kept it a secret. In his days, it was dangerous to reveal, especially in the latter years of his life. There is a Kabbalah from the Baal that the Rambam was a great Kabbalist. But that's not what he dealt with, and that's not what his book is. His book is the tree of knowledge, good and bad, which means it's the revealed Torah. Why are we learning Rambam? Not just because we're learning, because it's an institution. The Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, instituted we should learn Rambam. What's the Rebbe? The Lubavitch Rebbe is the master of the esoteric part of the Torah. Because that's his job as a Rebbe. His job as a Rebbe is to be the conveyor of the Eitzachayim, the tree of life. Chasidus. The main union of a Rebbe is to teach Chasidus. The Lubavitch Rebbe really taught a lot of revealed part of Torah. He taught every Shabbos, he would sit for brains for hours and hours and teach Rashi and teach Rambam and teach... But, it, right? but his main... Element of a Rebbe, a Rebbe says a mimer. How does a Rebbe become a Rebbe? By saying a mimer, a discourse. It's the esoteric part of the Torah. He is the one who channels Eitzachayim. And he tells you to learn Rambam. So when you're learning Rambam because it's a takana of the Rebbe, you're taking the reveal, you're taking the, the open man and connecting it to the closed man. And you do it for 40 years. Now, I, say, I didn't do it 40 years, but those who have been with the program 40 years. And all of us can now join even as the 41st year. The tikkun of the closing of the mems is so evident and so powerful. And, and, and let's think about it. When did it happen? The day after Shavasab, when did we start the 40th? On Shavasab, it was the 39th year of learning Ramam. The breach, the walls of Jerusalem are still breached. Now for the 40th time, the day afterward, we have to start closing it. On the 40th learning of Ramam, hopefully we're closing the breach. No more leakage. And which year did, it, did we do it? Think about it. Which year was it done? In the year 5780, which in the Hebrew calendar, in the year 5780, the Hebrew calendar is Tavshin Pei. 5780, a Pei is 80. What's 80? 80 is 2 times 40. You can split a Pei in two. So it's, the 80 represents connecting the two mems together. We started last year when it was still 5780. And the point is to take the lower mem and the upper mem and join them together, link them together. That's how you get 80. Wow. So things are really, really coming together over here. Now we'll see, but that's not the complete tikkun. 
That's almost a complete tikkun. Just connecting the open man with the closed man, it goes deeper than that. And here's the final clincher, another 10 minutes, okay? And something that you can, we can see it with our own eyes, it's like fantastic. Physically, we can see it. It says, we said, basically, we're putting all the blame, the entire exile, and all the suffering. We're putting all the blame. Yeah. Do you see if, it, uh, label, can you see if that thing is on cool? Because it's, it's hot. Is it on cool? It is. Maybe this one. So, um, we're putting all the blame of the entire exile on the breached wall, on the open map. But actually, if you go a little deeper into it, the problem is not only with the open map, the problem is also with the closed map. Meaning the reason for exile is not just because of a leakage. You have to ask the question, why is it leaking? <laughs> why, why are we leaking in the first place? Why do we take our energies and resources that God gives us and leak it to, to that which we shouldn't? How can we? How can we be inspired and then use that inspiration or whatever and misuse energy? Why? There's got to be a deeper reason for that. And the reason for that is because there is a very, very deep point in our soul that is one with God and unseparable and therefore not able to sin and not able to betray God. We have a very deep, deep, deep core, essential core, inner nucleus of soul, which is so tied and bond up with God that can never, ever sever its connection and definitely would not slap God in the face, God forbid, and give divine energy over to, the, to God's enemies, which is really what a sin is. So how can... You know, there's a statement that we say in the Hasidus, a Jew, not he wants and he's not capable to sin. That means the Jew in us, the deepest point in us that's really Jewish, that's really connected to God, cannot sin. So how come if we're all Jews? How is it that we sometimes are not so Jewish? How does that work? And the answer is because the Jew inside of us is in prison. The Jew inside of us is too shy to come out. The Jew inside of us is locked up. The Jew inside of us is mute. That means that the deepest inner core of our soul is not exposing itself. It's remaining hidden. It's not speaking up. It's bashful. It's quiet. It's silent. It's modest. If our inner Jew, if our inner deepest point of connection to God would be a little louder, would speak up, would reveal itself, and would release its higher consciousness into our experience, into our consciousness, into our regular uh, consciousness, then we wouldn't leak anymore. So in other words, the closed mem is also a problem. The problem with the closed mem is that it's locked. The closed man needs to be unlocked. The closed mem is, represents the deep bond, the level, the deepest connection to God that we have is locked. And because it's locked, that's why the other mem, our more external self, if remember we said earlier, we're, we're created through two levels. God created us 
on a deeper level and he created us on a more external level. The external level is through 10 utterances and the internal level is through one utterance. In the internal, we don't have free choice. We're so connected. In the external, we are so disconnected and we have free choice and we choose or whatever. So we operate mostly in the most and the outer level of existence, not in the deeper point. But these are two levels of mem, of divine energy creating us in two dimensions in our existence. In order that the open mem should not leak, we need that the closed mem should be open. So in a sense, the problem over here is in both mems. The one that should be locked is open, is unlocked, and the one that should be unlocked is locked. So the geula is dependent, so Mashiach is really dependent on the higher, clo- higher closed mem opening and the open mem closing. When our higher, inner, deeper, godlier self will unlock and reveal itself, what will, what will the concept, and both will happen simultaneously, because once we become conscious, very po- conscious of our deep connection to God, then our outer mem, our part of us that sometimes gets squandered into all kinds of stuff, will close, will have security, will not go where we shouldn't because we won't want to because we'll realize we're becoming disconnected. We wouldn't want to do that. So the two work together. Our closed mem has to open and our open mem has to shut. Let me explain that a little better. And how one is dependent on the other. In Torah, we also have that. Why is it that the secrets of the Torah were kept secret for, for hundreds of years, for thousands of years? And you have to be like a member and have a special club card to go learn. Only very great saintly mystics were able to learn that Torah. It was given over secret. Most Jews did not have any access to it. Was that good? Well, for the time, at that time, it needed to be that way. Is it good? It's not good. Because when we don't know those secrets, then we're more vulnerable. When we have the esoteric teachings, the deeper teachings, we're much stronger. I'll give you a simple example to that. A simple example to that. Jews live in, in Jewish communities. Most Jewish communities are a little bit more insular because the Jews live a bunch of Jews living together, whether it's you know, the big, big New York community, whether in Israel, you know, Bnei Barak, Jerusalem, Eshaarim, places where people live in an insular community. Williamsburg, New Square, Lakewood, Borough Park. Lots of Jews living together. And obviously we're much safer in those places. In this, I don't mean safe because anti-Semites. I'm talking about safe in our Judaism. We're not so tempted. We're not so because we don't see so much of the outside world. Sadly, the the mem was breached open by what? By technology. Today, everybody has the entire world in their pocket and a cell phone, and it caused big wreckage in the Jewish community. Everybody knows that. Read any Jewish publication, you're going to see how much the rabbis and the teachers and the schools. Everybody's complaining that the kids are breached, the kids have all junk in their head, all kinds of stuff, not just kids, the older people as well. All the clippers are getting in, because till now we kept them out, but now when everybody, you know, people said, you're not gonna have a television in the house, okay, so we didn't have television. People kept television out, kept the news, some people didn't even have radios now. Keep the outside world out, keep your children, keep your home a fortress, keep your home a beautiful place. But with technology, everybody, everybody needs a phone for businesses, so suddenly you allow the entire world into your pocket, and sadly it causes devastation. But in general, people kept in safe places, safe zones. You tell a Jew, go move out into Yehupitzville, go move out into a place where there's no Judaism, can't do it. What's going to be with my children? What's going to be with myself? I'm scared I'm going to, st- 
I'm going to lose my connection to God. I won't be able to deal with it. And you tell them, go out there because there are Jews who need you there. Jews that don't know anything about Torah and Torah mitzvahs, they can't. Because if I go there, I know I will fall. What did the Lubavitcher Rebbe do? He sent thousands of chassidim across the entire world to all places. There's no barrier, no place where, you, where, where, where Chabad chassid doesn't come, whether it's Vegas, whether it's Hong Kong, whether it's, 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 it's um, over there, no, uh, 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 whatever, everywhere. Across the entire world. And many of the places are not necessarily conducive for spirituality and for holiness. Across the entire world. And these Hasidim not only did not, didn't they, you know, it's proven. It's, they have real Hasidic families, children that are inspired, and they themselves are going on shlichut. They have not been, you know, contaminated, so to speak. And not only that, they tr- transformed these, 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 these wi- complete wilderness, complete empty, into oases of holiness and spirituality. How do they do that? The answer is because they're connected to the inner man. Hasidism, those who study, yeah, those who did not study that, the esoteric, even if they study, they only peak, but they don't really fill themselves up with the closed men, with the deep teachings of the Torah. Then, what, then you're, if you're gonna, if you have to stay secure, because if not, if you go out, you're gonna leak. You're gonna be hacked instantly. You're gonna be broken. You're not gonna be able to withstand it. But if, why? Because to most Jews, their closed men is locked because they don't have the esoteric, or they haven't been taught in schools to learn chasidut, which means to open up the closed mem. And when you don't open the closed mem, then if you have the, you have to, then if your other mem, meaning your regular self, is exposed to whatever, it's going to be hacked, and you're going to be in terrible shape. But those who have the merit to connect to the etzachayim, to the tree of life, to the esoteric, which means open up the closed men. To them, the secrets of Torah is not a closed book. It's an open book. They study it every day. They studied it in yeshiva. The boy and the girl, the husband and the wife that are on shlichos have soaked themselves up with the deep, with these, teach, te- these deep teachings. They fill themselves with this higher mem. When you open the closed mem, then you can go out in the world and you'll be safe and protected and your mem will be locked. Which means your closed mem will be locked. In other words, you'll influence, but you won't be influenced. And we see it with our own eyes. That's the idea. So it says when Moshiach is going to come, simultaneously these two things are going to happen. The mem in Nehemia of the word Asher Hema, Prutzim, the mem in Nehemia is going to close. It's going to change. It's going to become a closed mem. And the mem in Lamar Baha Misra, in this Pasuk, is going to open up. Because this mem needs to be open. So part of Golos is, think about it. What is, what is this Pasuk talking about? Lamar Baha Misra, L'Sholem and Kate. It's talking about David HaMelech's kingdom. Kingship of David. That's also a problem with the closed mem. David Melech Yisrael Chai V'Kayim. David Melech, the kingdom of King David, is there amongst the Jewish people forever. David doesn't die. David is connected to the Abishter with absolute connection. David lives forever. But it's hidden. It's mystical. It's concealed. Where is the power of King David? Where? Yeah, there is always a descendant of David that carries David Melech's light. But where is he? Throughout Golis, no one. Malchus based David is concealed and hidden. Moshiach is going to come. He's going to reveal David's kingdom. The closed mem will open up. Currently, during the time of Golos, Lamar Ba Misra, the, 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 the government of Mashiach is closed, is hidden. 
And what does that also mean? Let's translate that a little stronger. When it comes to talking about Mashiach, people are afraid to talk about Mashiach. It's a secret. The Lubavitcher Rebbe said in 1950, 1991, the problem is that these things that are deep inside and we don't speak, when we don't say what needs to be spoken, when secrets remain secrets, and instead of them being spoken, everybody's terrified. <laughs> I'm also so terrified. I realized, you know what? I'm saying the truth and nothing happened to me. Thank God. I'm Baruch Hashem doing very well. <laughs> I realized that the secret needs to be spoken. Not only that, thousands of people are inspired. Why keep it a secret? What is true needs to be said. This is the ultimate... When the closed mem is revealed, and what that it does is, you see, the, 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 the lies are shut down. The open mem that is full of lies, that closes. And we're watching in the world today, that it reflects in the world. All these spiritual ideas reflect in the world as well. What do you reflect it in the world? You're, we're coming to a world today where we find that, you know, that anybody that has different opinions of what, like what the narrative is, what the accepted narrative, and who decides what the narrative is? The New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, and others, and, high, and Big Tech. They're the ones who decide what the narrative is. And anybody that has a different opinion is a conspiracist, is a lunatic, is a total, and needs to be shut down. Close the mem. They're not real. And this is the way it is. And some, some things are becoming so exposed. It's becoming so clear that it's such lies, and there's such such that taking us for a ride <laughs> there's so much sheker such lies and, the, and it's becoming already amusing it's becoming so and it's gonna it's for sure gonna plot there's no question in my mind that in any day all this lies is gonna be just broken open that, that even even someone who's trying to hide to, to believe in all of this will not be able to believe anymore in this sheker the sheker is gonna be the lies are gonna be but that's and it comes together and you shush anybody that wants to say anything else is shushed is taken off Facebook, taken off because he's a conspiracist. What needs to be said is shut down. But it comes from a spiritual place. It's origin spiritual place. The Rebbe said we should go to the entire world and give them the message the Mashiach is about to come and teach all about Mashiach. And automatically, if you're teaching what the Rebbe says about Mashiach, you're also obviously teaching who the Rebbe is. And, and, and yet, shh, quiet. That's the idea of a closed man. That's no good. The closed man needs to open and the other man needs to shut. And that's what happens by Geula. We'll conclude right now. That's what happens by Geula, by redemption. Geula is compared to a baby being born. When a baby is born, Something magical happens. Gaul is considered a birth. The 
Talmud tells us the magic of birth, the unbelievable magic of birth. What's the magic of birth? There is an opening in the, in the, in the belly, the way the umbilical cord where the child gets its food from its mom is open. During the time when the child, the child is in the mother's womb, that's how the child is being fed. When the child, but the mouth is shut and the nose, oxygen inlets are closed. The child is born, the magic happens. The miracle happens. The, the opening in the stomach closes instantly and at the same time the mouth opens. One closes the other. The Tzemach Tzedek says this. I mean, the Gemara says this, but Tzemach Tzedek says that's the two mems. When one mem, when the, when the open mem closes, or rather, when the closed mem opens, the other mem closes. This has to happen. The Tzemach Tzedek says further, if you take a mem, a closed mem, and you slice it open, which is what you need to do, because the mem is closed against the, the secret, the inner secret is hidden. You're afraid to say the truth. The inner secret is, is hidden. Shh, quiet, we don't talk. When that mem is shut, and you slice it open, because you have to open up, a mem, if you cut it, becomes two dalids. And that's the two dalids of David. You reveal David Malka Mashiach, you reveal Mashiach. Split open the mem. Now watch the interesting thing. This year, this past year, I said, we, we learned earlier, is Tav Shin Pei, which Pei is two mems. Two mems together is Tav Shin Pei. Two mems. A lower mem connecting. But as they connect, the, <laughs> the change happens. The, 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 the closed mem opens up and it reveals David. So if you take a mem and you split it in half, you have 20 and 20. Because Mem is 40, 20 and 20. What year was it in the secular calendar? Tav Shin Pei, what year was it? It was corresponding to the year 2020. So 2020 is really the, 2020 is the revelation. Is the opening of the Mem. The Mem tears open at 20. He'll say, well, secular calendar. No, secular is what the world counts. Mashiach is for the entire world. Mashiach has to be revealed to the secular world, not just to the Jewish world. Mashiach is the Isgalos, 2020. And what does 2020 mean? 2020 vision. And what are we seeing? With our vision, we're seeing Mashiach in the world. We're seeing the Giyula. Wow, so all this happens at the same time. When we're learning the 40th time Rambam, Now the main thing that needs to be closed, the main part that needs to be closed in a person, in our own service, in our divine service, all this has to be applicable to each and every one of us in our own personal lives. Number one, we have to work on opening up our deeper selves. That's the idea. Open up your deeper self. Study, learn. Don't Get involved. Try to figure out what's deeply inside of you and open that up. Expand that. That's what we're talking about. Opening up our soul. But at the same time, we have to close our energy that perhaps is not protected and is going in all places. I'm going to say that I would recommend very much today's days that I have filters People should put filters on their phone. The phone, we said earlier, could be very damaging. You have, an, you have, a, you have 
on, with, with you the entire time access to all the garbage that there is in the world. Sometimes it's unholy. Sometimes we're in a weak moment. We can fall to temptation. So the idea of closing a mem on a simple level, yeah, put a filter on your phone. There's filters that, are, that you can control even. They're done and they're, they don't allow anything that's not kosher, which is a very good thing, an important thing. But it says primarily the, the closing has to be in the mouth because the mouth of a person, we spoke before, open mem is an open, open speech which open speech means you go in all directions. You say whatever, whatever comes. You're not thinking. It's not mindful thinking. The mouth is open. You react to every situation and you use your mouth and you say what? Say things that are not refined, whether it's curse words, whether it's, whether it's, it's um, the mouth is shooting. You're shooting from the hip, as you call it. Be guarding one's mouth. Being very careful with speech. That helps closing the mouth. So what happened in the year 2020, in this past year? The entire human race closed its mouth. They, the, clo- the mem closed. We got masks on all of our faces. Thank God now we're really, we're, 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 we're coming out of it. But the, the concept, take a look what happened. The closed mem, God is showing it. The entire, the first time in history, every human mouth was closed. The mem closed. The mimer pasua closed. Why did it close? It closed because of corona. What's corona? Corona, is, people will say, is a sickness, of course. But what's it really? It's... It, Corona is called corona because it's a crown. It's a virus that looks like crown. What's the spiritual meaning? The physical is just reflecting the spiritual. God's crown is revealed in the world. The infinite light of God is revealed in the world. The closed mem, which is hiding all the infinity, all the boundlessness, all the infin- infinite endless light, which was told now was closed, was opened. As a result of the clocked mem opening, Mashiach revealing itself in the world, all mouths were closed. Like we see actually in Parshas Kisisa, because Karan Ur Panav Shalmoisha, Moshe's face was radiating from the second Luchas. The second Luchas is the closed mem. So Moshe's face is now radiating with light. He puts a mouth on his face, puts a mask. So you see, the mask is the direct derivative from the Karan Ur, and Karan Ur is the word Corona. It's incredible. So all this happened this past year. And we're in the midst of experiencing this. So now that we're already holding at the, we're starting now 41 learning Rambam, realize that this is awesome tikkunim, awesome rectifications. And the world is so ready for Mashiach. Let's not be shy to talk about Mashiach. Let's not be shy to talk about our soul. Let's reveal the deepest godliness. At the same time, let's be careful not to use our expressions where they shouldn't go, not to leak energy in all the places where it shouldn't be. We close and shut the lower mem, we open the other mem, we connect the two mems together, and we experience the full birthing of the Geula. May we merit to see that now in a revealed good way. Thank you.